All right, Pastor. I um, I know you've already you've already hinted at uh, or talked a little bit about mentorship and uh, and believing in people, but I want to thank you for personally. I want to thank you for believing in me um, because you you have changed my life. Um, I know it's the Holy Spirit's work through you, but you have changed my life, and I really appreciate you. And I appreciate the opportunity. As nervous as I am, I appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate you pushing me. And I'm just so thankful for you. And, and um, just to echo what he said, this is not part of my sermon, but just to echo what he said, find somebody to believe in. If you can find somebody to believe in, please do that and pour into their life because you have the capacity to change somebody's life. Um, and I believe that that is our duty as well. Uh, so I would encourage you to do that. Appreciate it, Pastor. Uh, so tonight we're gonna we're gonna talk some Old Testament. Does anybody like Old Testament? I, I love Old Testament. I think the Old Testament is brilliant. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about some Old Testament tonight. In fact, we're gonna uh, go from Second Kings chapter five, and uh, we'll, we'll read a few verses from there. Um, and while you're turning there, do 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 any of you watch wrestling or have you watched wrestling in the past? Does anybody remember? Uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. All right, so I, I tried to look for a video, a short little clip of, of uh, his, one of his taglines, and I couldn't find one that was decent enough to play in church. So I'll just tell you about it. Uh, so, uh, so the way this would work is is uh, the the Rock and whomever he's about to you know to fake fight uh, are in the they're in the ring and um, you know two grown men in spandex yelling at each other. It's kind of weird and. Uh, and so they're trash talking back and forth. I don't know why, but they are, and they're getting paid a lot of money to do it. But then, uh, the you know the the rock, what he would do is is he would, um, you know, he would really try to try to get under their skin, and he would he would ask them, well, who are you? And then they would try to answer. They would try to tell him his name, and then he would abruptly interrupt them and say, it doesn't matter what your name is, and that would get on their nerves. And so tonight I'm going to tell you that it doesn't matter what your name is. Hopefully that doesn't get on your nerves. Uh, so, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's read the scripture here. So what we're going to read, I don't know if you can read, uh, if you can jump to the next one there. No, those words aren't too small. We're going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, uh, then 8 through 10, and then 14 and most of 15. So Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served, in, who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So we're going to jump to verse number 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door to Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, Go and wash seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be restored, and you will be clean. Jump to verse 14. So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the, <clears throat> to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. Then Naaman and the whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him, and declared, I know that there is no God in the whole world except in Israel. 
Uh, so let's pray real quick. Father God, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you for your comfort and your compassion. God, and I thank you, uh, God, that you are always striving with us and you are fighting for us. And I thank you that you have given us such an opportunity to grow in you, uh, to learn of your word. And I pray tonight that you prepare all of us, that, uh, that you would speak this word into our hearts, that we would all be changed, including myself, by your word tonight. Uh, and be glorified in our midst, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to I introduce you to a few guys here. Um, wonder if you wonder if you know them. And so let's uh, let's jump to the first one here. Maybe. There we go. Willis Carrier. Does anybody know who this guy is? Anybody ever heard of him? Air conditioning. This guy invented the air conditioner. Uh, hugely important, right? We've all got uh, air conditioners. I'm very thankful for my air conditioner, but I don't often thank this guy. Uh, so he is, he is often a forgotten man in history. We, we know his invention, but we forget his name. Let's, uh, let's jump to the next one here. Philo Farnsworth. Does anybody have any idea what this guy did? He did. Yes, television. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. I, I didn't know that. Uh, so once again, I think we all enjoy the benefits of someone's labor here. We enjoy their inventions, but we don't know their name, except for Randy. All right, Alexander Fleming. Anybody know this guy? All right, we're 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 uh, we're getting better and better here. He discovered penicillin. What? Oh, you do it. You know it. Oh man, I didn't hear you. Uh, so he discovered penicillin. Uh, if you've been um, helped out by penicillin at all, you can thank this guy. And then one more here, uh, Rick Rescorla. Does anybody have any idea who this guy was? Look at that. Well, Patty knows everything. Uh, this, this guy, uh, hugely important, hugely important. He implemented the evacuation procedures in the World Trade Center. Uh, so on 9-11, um, according to the data I was able to find, 2,606 people died at the World Trade Center site. That number would have been a lot higher if it were not for Rick Rescorla. Um, but I had never heard of him until I started trying to find people in history who had been forgotten. Um, and so I just I wanted to introduce you to a few guys here to just to kind of um, introduce this concept. And this list goes on and on. It just continues to go on and on. And in fact, it would be quite impossible to determine the number of men and women, and even children, who have had substantial impact in our world and yet remain unmentioned by virtually every history book. And to take it a little further, the odds are really high that the same will be said of you and me. It's likely in 100 years that nobody will mention us along with famous names such as Abraham Lincoln, Albert Einstein, or unfortunately even Hillary Clinton. And as sobering as a thought of that as that is, it seems the way that this will be, that in the long run, our name does not matter. But in the text tonight, I hope to demonstrate to you why we ought to rejoice in this fact. This should be a joyous occasion for us to know that our name doesn't matter. I believe in this passage of Scripture, uh, the Bible explains to us that our, our name does not matter and also explains why it does not matter and what really does matter. So let's jump right to point number one here. Um, I introduced a few characters to you, and, uh, and we'll talk about them as we go. So number one, it doesn't matter if you have the wrong name. 
Now, what do we mean by the wrong name? Anybody have any idea what I mean by the wrong name? I'm talking about a couple of things. One is labels. Sometimes we have labeled ourselves with the wrong name. Uh, sometimes it's a label that society has placed on us. Uh, maybe sometimes they're justified in that. Maybe sometimes they're not. But regardless, we have been labeled with things that maybe uh, don't match up to our personality or to who God says that we are. Am I a little quiet? Okay. Uh, and secondly, uh, we're also talking about our actual name. Um, so to explain this, I'll, I'll just talk about myself. Back home, uh, the name Sullivan doesn't get you very far. If, if your last name is Sullivan, it meant that you were probably a farmer or the son of a farmer and that uh, you were poor um, and you probably weren't going to be very educated and it probably meant that you were also rather nomadic. Uh, my family moved uh, from place to place. They started off who knows where, ended up in Texarkana, ended up in Cabot, ended up in Carlisle, and now are dispersed. Um, never set roots, never made a name for themselves except for the fact that they were poor and farmers. Um, and so uh, that's, that's what I'm talking about by the, by the wrong name here. So in the story tonight, uh, who we're talking about with the wrong name is Naaman. So Naaman was not of the family of God. He was second in command, basically, of the nation of Aram. Uh, and Aram was the, uh, not only the enemy of Israel, but they also at this time were oppressing Israel. They were the rulers over, over Israel at this time, and in the text even describes that they were um, doing raids. They were coming in and they were raiding Israel and uh, taking people back with them, taking possessions back with them, oppressing them, taking their money. Um, so, so Aram was not the good guy in the mind of the Israelites. He had the wrong name. He was not in covenant with God. So what's, what's, the, uh, what's the point here in talking about the wrong name? Somebody with the wrong name. What's very interesting is towards the end of the story, you see Aram come back, or uh, Naaman come back to Elisha, and he says, now I know, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So this story, in this story, we see that Naaman had the wrong name. He was of the wrong family, of the wrong lineage, and he was just a bad guy in the mind of the Israelites, and yet God saved him. God orchestrated the stuff so that he could save Naaman. So it doesn't matter if you have the wrong name. Let's jump to point number two. It doesn't matter if everyone knows your name. This one's somewhat self-explanatory, but to use a personal example again, in my hometown, the, name, the last name Glover got you a lot, whereas Sullivan meant nothing at all. The name Glover meant that you were probably rich, that you were connected to state senators and mayors, business owners, um, all those various things. So the name meant quite a lot. In our story tonight, we see Elisha, who was the man of God. If you, know, if you ask ten different people to name their ten uh, favorite Bible characters or the ten most famous Bible characters, Elisha is probably going to show up on most people's list. This guy is very famous. He was also famous in this time. Really powerful prophet, the, uh, you know, the spiritual son of Elijah. Really powerful guy. And yet, what's interesting here is he seems to have been forgotten. Now, we skipped around the scriptures a little bit, but if you, if you go back and you look, what happened is uh, er, uh, Naaman comes to Israel based on the testimony of uh, the slave girl. And he, he comes to Israel with papers from the king of Aram saying that uh, he needed to see uh, the prophet 
or that he needed to be healed. And what happens is the, the king of Air, or the king of Israel, excuse me, uh, totally forgot that there was a prophet in the land. And in fact, what he did is he, he tore his clothes, he wept, he was uh, angry. He was like, this, this guy, this, the king of Aram has just come to taunt us and to, to pick on us again. He's just trying to cause another fight. What am I going to do about it? And so what's really interesting is that Elisha is not even mentioned until he interjects himself into the story. So it says um, in verse number 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. So Elisha wasn't notified by the king. Elisha wasn't consulted. But Elisha found out through the grapevine that the king of Israel was upset because of this matter. And he had to remind the king, hey, there's a prophet in Israel. What, what are you doing? What are you fretting about? So it doesn't matter if you have the wrong name, and it doesn't matter if everyone knows your name. You can still be forgotten. Let's look at one more character in the story tonight. This one's my favorite. It doesn't matter if nobody knows your name. So there's a, there's a character here who's, who's not even named, and that's the young Hebrew slave girl. Um, and I think we can probably most relate to her I think all of us probably most relate to her uh, in that we've uh, often are forgotten or uh, maybe our accomplishments go unnoticed. Maybe somebody else gets the credit for something we've done. Um, maybe we're working ourselves to the bone and we, uh, we don't get any feedback. We don't get any congratulations. You know, I, I, think, uh, I think we all probably fall into that category quite a bit. I think we can relate to this girl. Um, she had a pretty pretty tough time. So she was actually taken in one of the raids. She was uh, taken by Naaman, the, uh, the first character mentioned. She was taken by Naaman back to Aram. And then she, in, her, in the middle, middle of her captivity, she still testified about the, the, the prophet in Israel. Uh, the entire story that we're talking about tonight hinges on her testimony. Um, so it doesn't matter if, if nobody knows your name. It doesn't matter if you're unnoticed or forgotten. Um, it doesn't matter. You are still in the middle of God's plan. You still have a part to play. And in the middle of your captivity or in the middle of your brokenness, um, you, still have a, you still have a job to do. You cannot forget to testify about the Lord's goodness. It doesn't matter if nobody knows your name. So let's talk about the why. You know, we've, we've talked about the what so far, but let's talk about the why. Why does it not matter if uh, what my name is? Why does my name not matter in the grand scheme of things? And so if, uh, if we want to know this, we have to retrace the steps in the story. We have, to, we have to look at the chronology and try to figure out exactly what God is doing here. Why, what, why is this story even in the Bible? What's its purpose? What is it trying to tell us? I believe that's the why here. So let's talk about it. Let's look at the sequence of events here, if you've got that slide, Jeremy. All right, so the sequence of events. And obviously this is not all the events in the story, um, but we're just looking at the first few. So um, if you look through the scriptures and try to dissect them, you'll see that the first thing that happens in, in chronological order, not necessarily in order of the text, but in chronological order, first thing that happens is Naaman has a skin disease. Um, in verse 1, it uh, says he was highly regarded, and the Lord had given victory through him to Aram. But he had a skin disease. It doesn't say that he contracted a skin disease after being elevated to a position of authority. It just says, but he had a skin disease. 
so we, I, I believe the first thing that happened here is Naaman had a skin disease. And then the second thing is the Lord used Naaman to give Aram victory over Israel. This is really interesting. It's hard to understand at first when you're looking at this. Why in the world would God use the enemy of Israel to overtake his people and to put them in bondage to another nation? Why would God himself do that if he loved his people? What's going on? We'll figure it out. Uh, the next thing is that Naaman takes the Hebrew girl as a slave during a raid. Um, and then the next thing in the story is the Hebrew girl tells Naaman's wife about Elisha. So let's, you know, let's, let's figure out here, what, what is God trying to do? So the first bit of divine action, God's first step in this story, is point number two up there. The Lord used Naaman to give Aram over Israel. So it's, it's really interesting. This entire story was a setup. The whole thing. It began with Naaman having a skin disease. But the story itself was a setup. The rest of the events that followed. God used a, a, a diseased man from another country to put his people in bondage so that he could take a Hebrew slave girl back to his country so that she could tell her master about the prophet so that the man who took her from the country could go back into Israel so that he could have an encounter with the prophet and so that he would have an encounter with the living God. Pretty crazy. The entire thing was a setup. When I saw this, it blew my mind. It absolutely, absolutely blew my mind. And here's, here's what the Spirit is trying to say to us. God had elevated a diseased man to give him victory over his own people so that his name would be known in a Gentile land. God is a God who wants to save all nations, not just the land of Israel. This is Old Testament. Remember, this is Old Testament. We're talking about Old Covenant, the people of the law. And God is trying to save people in the Old Testament in other nations. And he wants to do the same thing today. So why does your name not matter? Why does your name not matter? Let's jump to the next slide there. Acts 4.12 says why your name doesn't matter. And there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven that is given among men by where, whereby we must be saved. This is the reason why your name doesn't matter. It's because His name matters. His name is the only one that matters. There is one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And our job is to participate in His, in his plan. So it doesn't matter where you've been, what you come from, what your family was, what kind of junk you've been through, or what, you even, what you've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've been forgotten. You have a part to play in the plan of God. You have a part to play. And the Lord is saying to you tonight that I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will continue to love you with that everlasting love. My hand is upon you, and your name doesn't matter because I have given you my name, and you are in my hand, you are in my plan, and I'm fighting for you. And I believe that's what the Spirit is trying to say to us tonight. So to, to uh, link this thing together, let's, let's, you know, we talked about the rock at the beginning. So the rock, Jesus Christ. The rock, Jesus Christ, he is our rock. Is saying, I need you to lay aside your own pride, your own ambitions. Lay aside your own hurts and just submit to my will. Find yourself in the middle of my plan. And, uh, and make my name famous in the world. Don't worry about your own. I'll take care of that. But make my name famous in the world. If I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me.
Praise the Lord. Glad to be here tonight. I've uh, been thinking about this quite a bit. Um, I try to preach this the way I feel it. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to preach here tonight, to speak here tonight. It's not uh, it's something I take lightly. Um, this is a great pulpit to be behind, and I don't uh, don't take it lightly, Pastor. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to preach. Appreciate the church saying when you knew we were going to preach, so I appreciate that. And then appreciate Lewis, did a great job. I, I told him beforehand, I was like, Lewis, you're going to wreck the curve tonight. And uh, I also didn't know that the, um, the elders were uh, evaluating us either. So, um, yeah. So anyways, uh, it's going to be good tonight. It's going to be good tonight. So uh, tonight I'm going to preach on hidden treasure. You can go ahead and throw that up there, Jeremy. Hidden treasure in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. Let me read that to you. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great price, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Okay, so I guess I'm just going to go ahead and tell you my, my main point here tonight is... Um, the kingdom is worth losing everything for. The kingdom is worth losing everything for. I'm going to, I'm going to share that. That's my, my aim. If I'm going to try to get there tonight and try to explain that tonight. But the kingdom is worth everything for. You, you know, when I was growing up, when I was about 16 years old, does everybody remember getting your first car? When I was 16 years old, okay, maybe getting close to 17, there was this car I wanted, okay? And this goes really along with hidden treasure because it was hidden behind my friend's house. My, my, my buddy of mine, he had his family, for whatever reason, when a car would pass away, they would hide it behind their house. So there was three cars back there. And so I knew that he had this 89 IROC Z Camaro sitting back there in his backyard, which, in hindsight... IROC Z Camaro is not a great first car for a testosterone-filled teenager. But I wanted that car, and I knew it was back there. It was hidden from view. Nobody knew it was back there, and so I, I kind of talked to him. I was like, hey, man, I want to buy your car. I know it's a piece of junk. I know that there's no value to it. Like, nobody saw the value in it. I seen the value in it, but nobody else saw the value in it. And I was like, if, if you'll let me buy that car, dude, that'd be... And so I, I, I went, this went on for quite a while, and finally, on a Friday night, he's like, okay, I'll sell you that car. So Saturday morning, I was there with the truck and trailer, and I, I drained my bank account. Everything I had to buy this piece of junk, Camaro. Which, it, it did work out, but anyways. Um, we'll finish that story later. But, so anyway, so the kingdom of heaven is hidden, okay? And so, have any of you ever given up everything for something in your life? I have. I gave it up for a junk Camaro. I drained my bank account. I literally drained it. That was all the money I had. And so, I don't even know where I got the money to pay to fix it up. But I somehow, I scraped together the money to put it together. But any of you ever given everything to get something in your life? There's people that give everything for that last hit of drugs. 
There's people that give everything to climb the corporate ladder. They give up their families. They give up, they, they give up relationships to climb that corporate ladder. They give up everything. But what is it you've given up for the kingdom of God? What are you willing to give up for the kingdom of God? Are you willing to lose everything for the kingdom of God? And so tonight, that's what I want to bring out in our text. There's, I'm going to go through this text, and there's, there's um, two men that gave up everything for these treasures, for the kingdom of God. And so there's three points that I want to talk about. The kingdom is hidden, the kingdom is discoverable, and the kingdom is valuable. Those are three points I want to talk about tonight. But first of all, let me explain um, what the kingdom of God is. And the kingdom of God kind of is a broad term. And so I'm going to do kind of the best definition that... Um, but the kingdom of God, and this is... I've got a couple different... kingdom of God is the rule... kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all the universe. The spiritual realm over which God reigns as a king or the fulfillment on earth of God's will. Okay, and this is the definition that I really like. Okay, the kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the heart and lives of those who willingly submit. I want to read that one again. The kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God. Okay, so we're going to move on to the, the kingdom is hidden. Okay, in verse 44 we, we see a man. Okay, there's a man here and he has came across a treasure in a field. Okay, we don't know exactly how he probably, he probably stumbled on it. He may have been working in the field. It doesn't really say. He may have been working in the field. He may have been walking through the field. He was probably plowing. It's probably what he was doing. Probably plowing the field or he was digging a hole in the field. And he came across this hidden treasure. Okay, now finding a treasure in a field, that's not an uncommon thing back then. Because first off, there, there were no banks. I mean, you couldn't just go down to the bank and, and put your, you know, get a safety deposit box and put your, your valuables in there. There were no gun safes. There were no vaults. There were no credit unions. There was no place you could. So people would go, they would bury their treasures. This was not an uncommon thing for people to go out and bury their treasure because also there was also um, enemies could come in. They could destroy the towns, level the towns. And so if their treasure was hidden out in the field, they'd know where it's at. So this man stumbled across the treasure. And so we don't know exactly why it was there. Maybe uh, the previous owner had, had buried it and forgot about it. Maybe the owner had um, went out, uh, maybe he passed away, maybe he didn't tell his family. But anyways, there was, there was a treasure hidden in this field, okay? And so, um, because there were no banks, okay? And so I've often wondered about this. Though. So the man goes out, he finds this buried treasure. He finds this treasure out there, but then he buries it again. He hides his treasure again. And then he goes out, sells all he has to buy the land. I've, I, I've thought about that. I was like, man, that just doesn't... It almost doesn't seem right. It almost doesn't seem ethical when you think about it. It's like, well, he hid this treasure because it's land he doesn't own. He hid this treasure. And then he goes and he sells everything and he buys the land. But when you really get into it, you, you realize that, that in Jewish law, that if you came across a hidden treasure like that wherever it was at... Rightfully, it was yours. And so this man went above and beyond 
to acquire this treasure. He didn't have to buy the land, but I feel like that this man, in this story, why Christ or why Jesus used it this way, was that he wanted to show that this man was doing everything right. He was doing everything moral. He was doing everything ethically right, so that way that it could never come back on him that he had done something wrong. Okay? And so, um, but back to the point, okay, that the treasure is hidden, okay? In Second uh, Corinthians 4, in verse 3 and 4, I'm going to read this. And it says, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news, and they don't understand this message of the glorious glory of Christ, who is in the exact likeness of God. Okay, so we see that this treasure... This treasure is hidden, okay? And and what we're getting, what we're getting, what I'm trying to get at here is that the world doesn't understand this treasure. Sometimes the world doesn't understand the kingdom of heaven. The world doesn't understand that it's important. They don't understand the preciousness of salvation. They don't understand the importance of that. They don't see it, even though it's hidden in plain sight. It was hidden in completely plain sight. But then they don't, they don't understand why we as Christians, we hold a high moral standard. They don't understand why we try to do things right. They just, they just don't get it. Okay, and we look at in, um, 1 Corinthians 2 and 8. It says, but the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had not, they would not have crucified the glorious Lord. So the kingdom, you know, even, even Christ, when you think about how Christ came to earth. He came to earth. He was actually he was born in Bethlehem. He was he was a Nazarene. And what did Nathaniel said? Nathaniel said in, in John 1 and 46, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? Christ didn't even come down. Christ was hidden to the world. The world didn't see it. But it was revealed. And so that's what I'm getting to in, in my next point is that the kingdom is discoverable. So even though the kingdom is hidden to those, it can always also discover, or it can be found. It can be found. So it's not, it's not just completely hidden where we can't find it. But it can be found. It's discoverable. So and when we'll look at the next uh, parable in Matthew 13, 46, or 45 and 46. It says in the, the second parable, the merchant, the merchant was looking for what? He was looking for a pearl. And a pearl in those days was the most valuable stone that, that there was. There weren't, there, at the time, at least to my knowledge, there weren't diamonds in. So, so pearls were very, very, very valuable. If you had a pearl, it, it was saying something. You know, men would, and how they would get those pearls, it was actually really dangerous. They'd, they would tie rocks around their waist or around their feet, and they would jump off a boat. There wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't breathing apparatuses. There weren't equipment to go down and, and get these pearls. They literally had to go down, down in the ocean and get these, get these oysters and harvest these pearls out of there amidst all the dangers, amidst all the, the, the sharks and, and the dangers, the, the sharp coral, and then just the fact that you're at the bottom of the ocean with a rock tied to your ankles. There was a lot of danger down there to acquire these pearls, but they were so valuable. And they were so rare. Some of them were very rare. And they were very expensive. Um... And a, per, a pearl, and so pearls came too, um, they came in many different shapes and sizes. But if you found a round pearl, 
those are extremely rare. It's said that the Egyptians, um, they actually worship pearls. They said that Cleopatra, she had two pearls that were valued at, in those days at 500000 apiece. Who knows how much they'd have been valued in today's market. But just unbelievable. It says that the, um, the Roman emperors and the Roman, or the Roman noble people, the high-class people, would actually dissolve pearls in vinegar. They would dissolve them in vinegar and they would drink them in their wine as a, as a way to show their wealth. So pearls were very, very, very valuable. And so that's why this man was searching for, it, it, searching for uh, a choice pearl. He was searching for them. So the kingdom is discovered. What we see in uh, Jeremiah 29 and 13, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So you can, you can find the kingdom if you're looking for it. And that's what this man was doing. In Deuteronomy 4 and 29, but it says from these... But from there you will search again for the Lord, your God. And if you search for Him with your heart and soul, you will find Him. And then we see in Psalms 14 and 2, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise and if anyone seeks God. So this man was looking for something of value. And he actually he found it. He says he was looking for Pearls. He was out looking for pearls. He wasn't looking for just, for just one pearl, but he came across that one perfect pearl. And he sold everything he had to have it. And sometimes in life people are looking for something, looking for something that's real, looking for something that's, that's perfect. Okay, So the kingdom of God is discovered when can be found. The kingdom of God is also valuable. It's valuable. And in both of these parables, these men, they were looking for something. And what did they do? When they found what they were looking for, they sold everything, everything they had to acquire it. The kingdom of God is worth losing everything. And when we look at that from a financial view, selling everything you had to buy one thing, that's not very, that's not how financial advisors advise you to do things. But from a spiritual view, that, that's incredible. To, to, to sell your life out for the kingdom of God, to sell everything for the kingdom of God, that's an incredible, incredible thing to, because there's value with the kingdom. So one of the principles that I, that I learned here through this is that God is not asking us to sell everything we have for the kingdom. But He's asking us to be willing to do that. He's asking us in our hearts to be willing to sell everything for the kingdom because our salvation and our relationship with God is priceless. We can't put a price on that. And when we come to that place of discovery, see this, the, the first man, he more or less, he just stumbled, he stumbled onto it. He wasn't really necessarily looking for it, he just stumbled onto it. And the second man, he was actually searching for something. He was searching for something, uh, didn't exactly know what it was, but he found it. And it had great value because it was revealed to them. It revealed to them. The value was revealed to them. They seen it and they, 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 they grasped onto the value. The things that were hidden, they grasped onto the value. And the world, uh, sometimes they don't say, well, it, it, that doesn't seem right. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You know, why, why would you sell all you have for something that, that doesn't have uh, a lot of value to you? But how do you know something has value if you've never tried it? Think about that. How do you know if something really has value if you've never tried it? I'll preach over here a little bit. 
And I was thinking about that. Okay, so um, about a year ago, I started going to the gym. I started working out, okay? And I actually started doing CrossFit about a year ago. And a buddy of mine, I'd seen him, he'd been doing it for about six years. And, I, and you know what I thought when he started that? It's dumb. That's dumb. Why do I want to go do that and get all hot and sweaty? And, that's dumb. I didn't see the value in it. Because I'd never tried it. And so, about a year ago, back in July, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it. I went there and I loved it. And so now I've, I've went out and I've, I've bought all the shoes. I've bought, I've bought the belt for it. I've bought all the, the, you know, the, wrist, the sweatbands, the wristlets, the gloves, the grips. I've got a couple pair of shoes for it, all the, the shirt. Because I found out this has value. But before, when I didn't try it, it, it didn't have any value to me. But I tried it and realized, hey, this has value to me. I'm getting more fit. Crystal's happier. I've lost about 25 pounds, and I, <laughs> and I enjoy it. But see, that's the thing is, the world doesn't understand, but they don't understand because they've never tried it. They can sit here and talk about, well, well Jesus is this and that, but they've never, if they've never tried it, how do they know there's no value in it? It says in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously in all these, and, and He will give you everything you need. So I'm going to close um, with this. Do you see the value in the kingdom? I hope I've explained this well. I don't feel like I have, but do you see the value in the kingdom? Is it worth losing everything for? Is it really worth losing everything for? And the answer is yes, it is. Yes, it is. And the treasure in both of these parables, these people were missing something. They were missing something in their lives. The first man didn't even realize it. He just happened to stumble across it. He happened to stumble across it in a field and didn't even realize that there was a, a, a part of his life, something in his life that was missing. And once he discovered it, he, he sold everything. And what, what came with it? Excitement, joy, happiness. And then we see the second man. The second man, he was out searching. It says he was searching for pearls. So he wasn't even necessarily searching for, he was just searching for some sort of truth out there. But he found that perfect pearl, that perfectly round pearl, which is very, very, very rare. Most of them come out, they're either um, pear-shaped, oval-shaped, but they're not round. He found that perfect pearl. And he sold everything for it. And so I guess I just want just to ask you tonight, is there a spot in your life? Is there a place in your life? Is there a hole in your life? If you're searching for something tonight, it can be found. And, we can, and it can be found through Jesus Christ. So I just want to leave you again with that thought is, are you willing to lose everything for the kingdom?